I just want to jump in here with a quick note about some changes that are happening. This podcast is now going ad-supported. What that means is I will be releasing select episodes from the hundreds of episodes I have archived now on Patreon and releasing them here. A lot of these were recorded a couple of years ago during 2020 especially. However, I have gone through them and deemed that the parenting information was still really relevant. So just be aware that some of these releases may be out of order chronologically. Also, if you would like to listen to the podcast ad-free, you can still join Patreon. I'll still be releasing podcasts there with a few bonuses. One is that it will be ad-free. One will be that you get the podcast slightly earlier than everybody else. And I'll also be doing a bonus episode every month with a Q&A that's patron specific. So if that's something you'd like to do, you can join for a dollar a month and we'll see you there. Thanks, guys. Hey, I'm Jamie Glowacki and you are listening to Oh Crap, I Love My Toddler, But Holy Fuck. This is a podcast for conscious parents who drop the F-bomb a lot. Hey, you guys, welcome, welcome. Okay, so today we're going to talk about a couple of things that have to do more with slightly older kids, but there are some things to prepare the way, and there are some things that we can parlay into toddlerdom. So this is for the parents whose kids are getting a little bit older, but also how we can lay the groundwork. And two big concepts that we're going to be talking about today, as well as maybe a couple of additional little things, is finances and peer pressure. So recently, Pascal has taken um, Dave Ramsey's high school finance course, and it's really great. I like Dave Ramsey. He infuses a lot of humor, color, even though the videos are somewhat outdated. I'm like, "Mm, I don't even think that applies anymore. (laughs) But he's really learning a lot. He's learning about compound interest, which of course is fascinating to him and investing and those kinds of things which he has a little nest egg himself from working farm jobs. And he's very interested in investing. But more importantly, you know, there are some things that I'm learning to do with him that I have been sharing with friends and clients and colleagues. And so let's sort of bust open finances because it's a really big deal. And money and sex are like two of these like core things that are really hard to, I hate to say core memory because we already dismantled like core memories and made up thing from Pixar (laughs) from inside out, but they become a core value. And what we say and how we handle money in particular, I won't talk about sex today, (laughs) these things get ingrained in us and they become part of our identity without us even knowing it. So it's really important to lay the groundwork early. I did, you know, of course, whenever I have ideas for the podcast, I, you know, I mull them around, I go through them with a few colleagues, and then I almost always go on the internet to see like what a broader scope says. And I was really shocked because it is my professional and personal opinion that you cannot teach toddlers about money. And there's a whole bunch of articles about how to teach toddlers about money. And mostly they're like, teaching them about restriction, teaching them the negative, like how not to keep the lights on, how money is very finite and we have to conserve. And I might be in the hippy dippy camp here, but I do believe that we have to have a notion that, look, you guys, there's plenty of money on the planet. It's that certain people are kind of hoarding it, (laughs) right? There's plenty of money. It's our like core beliefs about how money is made, how money is circulated. These things really do affect our financial health, our financial well-being. 
in addition to working hard, in addition to paying taxes, in addition to all the very real tactile things that we have to do with finances, right? And I come from a blue collar family where you put your money under the mattress. That's it. It stays in a jar. You might bury it in your backyard for safety, but you don't trust anybody. When I first opened a 401k, <laughs> I sat across from the woman with my arms crossed. I like I was channeling my grandpa. I was like, what are you going to do? Why are you going to steal my money? It took me a really long time to start investing. I didn't grow up with that. And my supposition was, or not even supposition, I think it was a core value that that compound interest somehow is for people. Money makes money. Like it was for people beyond me. It wasn't for a blue collar worker. Just you save, you save. And if you want more money, you work harder. And so for a long time, I had that view. And so that's where I'm coming from. And I would not only have I changed my views, but I would like to give Pascal a different sort of history. So there's more of an ease around money. The funny thing, though, about toddlers, and so a lot of these articles that I was looking at, if you come from a constant restrictive mode, that is going to form a core identity for your child, which is like, oh, there's never enough. We've got to pinch pennies here. And we know this, you guys. Listen, I love those memes online that are like, it's not your avocado toast in your Starbucks while you're broke. You know, there's a lot of factors that go into your minimum wage, a living wage, these kinds of things. It's not these like shut off the lights, right? Like that's that's old thinking. Yes, we don't want your electric bill to be skyrocketing. We don't want lights on all the time. There is a natural conservation of energy that we want to instill in our kids. But if you constantly come at this worry place, come at money from this worry place, that's what's going to be in your child's identity. Now, toddlers, it's really hard to teach toddlers about money because they don't have the concept. And I learned this when... Pascal was in kindergarten. Two of his friends would come over. I'd watch them for the other parents while they were working. And it was fascinating to me because these two little girls were by far the brightest in the class. Very, very, very smart. And they were just learning like math, basic math. And the concept of the number five representing five things is really hard to get. Even when we say, oh, there's five apples on the table or, you know, one, two, three, four, five. It's the representation of the number being the amount of things. Number one is tricky. Like these girls, I remember early on five minus one. And they were like, well, where's the one? Where'd the one go? They were like obsessed with where'd the one go? And I was like, it doesn't matter. It just went away. And then, you know, we had to do the very visual representation. I have five apples. I take one away. How many apples are left? Four. But if I did it without the apples, they would get a little confused. And so now think of that with money. Think of a nickel representing five. That is a super advanced concept. And ask any kid, give a kid a hundred dollar bill or a hundred pennies, and they're going to take the hundred pennies because obviously it's more. It's more actual things, right? So the idea that you can teach toddlers about money, I think is nonsense. I think you can play. I think you can play money, but it's not going to go in. And so you're kind of doing a lot of, a lot of reps for almost no reason. I think it's better to wait when the child can start to have a concept of that representation of numbers, what numbers represent, that they represent actual things. And then you can get into teaching about actual money. And you have to start with physical money, what, you know, four quarters equals a dollar. And I think I've mentioned this before on the podcast, but when we were learning analog time, he was really struggling. And I asked my niece, who was a little bit older, she's about 10 years older. And she was like, oh, auntie, you have to teach money and time together. Cause you know, like four quarters is 15 minutes equals 15 minutes 
is an hour if you do the quarters. You know, she she parlayed it like that. And I was like, oh, and she's like, yeah, pennies are seconds. And so I was like, oh, that's so interesting. I hadn't ever thought of that. Anyway, just a way to let you know. And that usually comes around four or five or six when you start seeing that in workbooks, at school, and that kind of thing. So that's about all you can do with toddlers. Once your child gets to be like six, seven, eight, then you can start introducing the idea of saving, maybe giving to charity if that's very important to you, giving to communities, however that looks. You might talk about earning money and how you can start to earn money around the house. I am very adamant that I don't think chores and an allowance should be attached. So to give an allowance for chores, I can see why that seems very normal to do, you know, especially since if the child doesn't do the chore, then you have something to take away. But I think it's better to set up a household structure in which chores are expected. And then if the child wants to find something to do extraordinary, then they can get paid extra and they can maybe even start to negotiate their price. I did not come up with that. I learned that from a dad who specializes in raising entrepreneurial kids. And that's one of the things you can do to raise an entrepreneurial spirit, which is what can I do? What can I find? What around me needs to be done that I could potentially make money? And also starting to negotiate what that might look like and what is your time worth? And, you know, of course, when kids are young, $8 an hour might be like, oh my God, I'm going to be rich. But how many of us, I grew up in New England, we would set out in the morning of a blizzard to shovel. We were going to shovel a hundred driveways. And if each person paid us $25, oh my God, we were going to be rich. We didn't factor in the actual hard work of shoveling driveways. We'd be shot after two driveways and we'd be like, you know what? $10 is good. We're fine. (laughs) So, you know, there's that overestimation of what your time is worth and, and value. But there are some things that you can do as your child gets older. And again, like that, you can find that, you know, have the child find things to do. But I thought this was a really interesting thing from Dave Ramsey, which is you start to Pascal's 16. So I'm going to do this full blown now because he's 16 and he's handling money in a different way. But I do think you could start this at seven, eight, nine, 10 years old, which is you start to give the child the money you would spend on various things and have them start to budget. So that might look like snacks or, you know, they might get 10 or $20 a week to spend on junk food, anything they want, you know, and, and maybe that's going to, you know, if you allow that, then they can go to the market. They can start to understand, oh shit, this costs a lot of money and I'm plowing through these goldfish like they're water. It can teach them how to budget things like treats and things like money. And then you can also do like if you wanted to do shoes or clothes. So like with Pascal, I'm calculating how much I would spend on him per month on, you know, clothes, I don't know, hunting equipment, For him, like junk food, he's really learning how to keep snacks in his backpack. So he goes out with his friends on the weekend. And that was one of his things. He said, Ma, I don't know what to do. Like we go out to eat and it's expensive and he makes so much money. You guys, it's so funny. He's a, he's a natural saver. He's like, it's really expensive. And even Burger King's really expensive now. And, but my friends are going and I want to go and I'm hungry. And I was like, well, all right, well, what could you do? You know, could you have snacks in your backpack so that you're not quite so hungry? So even if you go to Burger King, you don't have to order like two full meals. You can have some snacks and order a cheeseburger. So you're cutting back on the cost. And he was like, oh, yeah, that's a great idea. So, you know, budgeting money. He pays for all his stuff when he goes out with his friends. He pays for his concerts. He pays for anything 
Like if he wants something, I'll pay for his, of course, his basic clothing. But if he wants something like super trendy from Hot Topic or something like that, he pays for that. If he wants any, he likes like graphic tees and some jewelry, you know, he's got like a chain with a lock around it. And like that, what did that punk rock, you know, like the chain on your wallet, that kind of thing. Or if he wants something super specialized, he pays for that. A lot of things, if he wants something new for hunting, we'll split it. If he has a big purchase, we'll talk about splitting it. Like he wants to get an electric guitar. So I said I would pay for his acoustic guitar and he can buy the electric guitar and the amp. So we we do things like that so that he does start to get that sense of paying for things, that he has to pay for some of his things. But I just thought that was a particularly good idea. And again, you can start this younger. It doesn't have to be whole hog, but it really gives the child a safety net while budgeting so that they can screw up because we're we're releasing kids into the wild. You know, a lot of parents are even paying for shit during college. And then the child goes and gets their first apartment and they have no clue about the finances. They have no clue how to budget like their personal goods, their personal care, their clothes. In addition to toilet paper, shampoo, all the things that go into an apartment, even in a roommate situation, things that you have to buy for yourself. So that's one of the things you can do is say, okay, you know, I'm going to give you, I usually spend I take a year because I don't always buy clothes by the month, you know, and sort of divide it. I'm going to give you, I don't know, $200 a month and you can buy your clothes. So now you have to make choices. And of course you can make, you know, you can buy their undergarments and things like that, but that way they get to really start to get that tactile hands-on experience because even in those preteen years, money is so lofty, right? It's so like, oh yeah, those jeans were $50. You don't know what $50 means till it's your $50, right? And I always tell this story, Pascal, when he had gotten like a gift card for some store, maybe Target, and it was a $25 gift card. And he, you know, went to get some Minecraft. He was into Minecraft Legos, which you can't get anything for $25 in the Lego aisle, except, you know, a one figurine. And he spent like an hour. And he said, wow, this money's really hard to spend when it's mine. So I thought that was just a great statement about where your average 10-year-old brain is at. Is like, yeah, when it's your money, it's easy. It's this lofty concept that I don't mind spending when it's my money. Now I have to make choices. And I think that is a really good non-restrictive way of like, this is the money I would spend. You get to choose, oh, that money's gone. And I do think that even works with, like I said, snacks and junk food because there is a restriction on it, which is budgeting, not necessarily monitoring the food, right? Because you may be controlling your child's food right now, which I did. I did. I was crazy till he was five, but they're going to have outside influences and that's going to change. You may not be so strict in the later years. And then you, you do want to put some restrictions on it because you don't want your kid eating donuts all day long. But instead of touching the food, you can touch the budgeting. And I think that's a backdoor way of saying, hey, this is how much I would spend on your extra snacks. You're in charge of that. But when that money's gone and those snacks are gone, that's all you have for this month. And I think it also sets kids up for the, you know, we pay things monthly. We pay bills on a monthly basis. And so that's a really good way. I also, again, I think I've mentioned this before in several podcasts, but I, as a homeschooler, Pascal had always been really good at math and he seemed to get decimal points and percentages at a crazy early age. And I I was astounded because I did not know that was possible. And I know like all the workbooks, once you start with decimal points or, you know, three digit, two digit, four digit addition and subtraction, you know, columns become very, very important. You got to keep your columns straight, right? Otherwise your math gets all messed up. And so with the decimal points, 
I was like, well, these worksheets had almost like dotted lines down the columns. And I was like, well, that seems stupid. And I remember like trying to think of things to help him with finances. And I said, why don't we just pay the bills together? And we paid the bills together. And first of all, he instantly, once it was money, he got it. He was like, oh my God. I said, yeah, you just like shorted me a hundred dollars. That's crazy. You're going to owe me a hundred dollars. And he was like, oh my God, my column wasn't straight. And from then on, I didn't need any dotted lines to keep the column straight. But another benefit was he was like, mom, I did not know that's how much money it cost. This isn't even our fun stuff. And I was like, no, you're right. It costs a lot of money to run a house, you know? And so he, all of a sudden, without me saying a word, without me nagging, he was like shutting off lights. He was like not (laughs) wasting water. He was like, this is all money going down the drain. So I think, again, that's a nice way of setting up the parameter that, yeah, bills have to be paid. And yes, we can throw money right out the window sometimes, but without coming at it from a restrictive point of view. Another thing as your child, now many of your kids probably aren't anywhere near this. So you can kind of bookmark this for the future, but you definitely want them to have their own bank account. When Pascal was younger, I used a service called Greenlight. And so they give them an ATM card. You monitor it as the parent and you can do it through an app and you can like put their, you can put allowance on there or you can sort of transfer birthday money. And so they have their own little account. It's good for kids that are too young to open their own bank account. Pascal's getting his own checking account now, and we're inquiring about a credit card. So I don't know if you know this, because I was talking to a couple of friends and they didn't know that you can do this, is you can do a prepaid credit card. So it's really worth it to start having a child use a credit card very early. I would say even earlier than teen, preteen, because we're such a digital economy right now, like with our ATM cards, our credit cards. People just don't carry cash. You may not even be using credit per se, as in money you don't have, but you just don't carry cash. So like I have Runnings is a company near me. It's, I think it's a pretty local chain, but I have their credit card and they, you know, they give great cash back on like gas and groceries. So that's like my gas card. And I only use that for gas and groceries. So it's very easy for me to go through the bill for me to see if there's any nefarious shenanigans going on. And so, and I get good cash back. But so I was telling Pascal about that. I said, listen, you may not always want cash because it is better when you go to fill your tank. Once you're driving solo, you're going to want to fill it. You know, the gas is too expensive now. Gone are the days of like, you know, $5 on pump one, (laughs) $50 on pump one. Right. So I said, you know, but you want to pay it off at the end of the month. And so we're working on getting him a credit card. If we can't get him a credit card, I'll either lend him mine and supervise it or we'll get a prepaid card. So again, there's that safety net so they can't screw it up. Credit card debt is a problem. Kids, they get solicited as soon as college application things start. As soon as your kid is like on record and they start getting mail, they're going to start getting offers for credit cards. And the APR is going to be like 38%, 42%. It's crazy. And these kids don't know better. They just think it's the same plastic you use. It's the same plastic as an ATM. It's too good to bury yourself. And even though they start with usually really small limits, I see more kids getting themselves into a credit card hole that their parents either have to get them out of or they're now going bankrupt or something at a very young age because who can resist, quote unquote, free money? I don't have the money for this now, so I'll just pay for it. And then they get locked into the minimum payment situation and you'll never get ahead. So it's really important. And I think you can start this again, preteen, nine, 10 years old, whenever your kid starts doing this kind of math, I think it's really great to go over your bills. Show what the APR is. Show why you got these credit cards. 
like I have a Bass Pro card because we go to Bass Pro a lot. That's a outdoors shop and hunting stuff. So I got their credit card because the APR and anything I buy in the store is 4%. That's awesome. And then they have a great rewards program. So I try to show him that. And, but I also show him like, even at 4%, I pay the bill, unless it's something extraordinary, I pay the bill every month so that I don't get charged that. I go over the mortgage statement so that he can see what is the principal, why you pay down principal. And so there's nothing, even if you don't ever want to homeschool, this may not be done in school. And it's so much better for the child because it's right in front of you and it's your life. It's your money. It's the things you guys bought. And so it has this like stickiness that is awesome for kids to start to understand. They'll go over APR in high school math, but it means nothing when it's in a book and they're talking about buying a hundred grapefruits. It really doesn't go in. Right. So that is something you can do. And again, I'm really, really firm about starting with some sort of plastic card early, whether it's an ATM or a, a credit card or prepaid or whatever, so that you can sit down at the end of the month, say, this is the bill, this is what you owe me. And then, you know, and obviously if they're 10, they're not using it without your supervision. You know, Pascal goes off on his own. He'll, he could be using it without my supervision, but you can keep a close eye on it and be that safety net so they can really learn how to use it and really learn how to spot like these offers that come in the mail, these, you know, some are debt consolidations that end up being worse of a scam. And I remember the solicitations. Once these kids are pre-approved for a credit card, it's all over. And you don't, you just don't want them to get in that kind of debt. When they are younger too, you can, when you go out for the day, like say you go somewhere where there's a snack shack or an ice cream truck, or you go somewhere regular where there's a snack bar, you can make sure, you know, that's a place where you could start saying to your five, your six, your seven-year-old, even though they're not going to quite get the, the concept of money takes a long time, like how it actually works. And even then I remember Pascal, he had some sort of there was some marking, uh, you know, people like graffiti on the the bills and we put it in the bank. And then I don't know, like a week later, I went to the ATM and he was like, well, that's not our money. See, the, the $20 bill doesn't have that thing. He thought when I went to the ATM that I just had this like private little box that showed up and it was my money that I physically put in. I physically took out, which I thought was so cute. And, and of course, like he was like four or five one day when I was like, oh, you know what? I just, I don't have any cash for that. And he was like, well, go to the machine and get some. And I was like, no, that's not really how it works. But yeah. So, I mean, it wasn't about cash. It was like, oh, I can't. I said something about not being able to afford it or not wanting to pay that. I don't know. He just assumed that they gave the money away for free at the machine at the bank. So, but again, when they're a little bit younger, you can set out for the day and have them pay for their own treats and say, you know what? You Grandma gave you birthday money. If you plan on getting ice cream for the truck, you pay for it today. So why don't you go get your money? Again, at a certain age, what you'll see is it doesn't matter to the kid. Some kids will just use all their money from grandma because it makes no sense. They don't, they're like, here, you can have it. You can have all the money. I don't care. They're not actually getting what it represents, you know, time, energy, value. So, and that's how I think of money. I, are we know we have fiat money right now. It's not backed by gold or anything right now. So that's kind of out the window, but I do think of money as energy and people's time. Like I pay, you know, I pay people for the time for what they've learned. You know, like you guys are patrons here, right? You give me a nominal amount of money a month because you value my work and you know that I put time into it. So we trade, we trade this energy, right? So that's what I like to teach too about 
money. I had a friend, we used to go to a skate park and they had a snack shack and she refused to pay for water. That was her big thing. She was like, I will never pay for junk snacks and I will never pay for bottled water, which I am too. I have to be like in a dire emergency if I pay for water. I saw a funny thing one time. Um, what does DeSanti mean in Italian? And it's <laughs> Coke just sold you water. <laughs> I thought that was funny. <laughs> and then I, another thing I saw that was like, bottled water isn't in the business of water. They're in the business of selling you plastic. And so that's, that's the hill I die on. I am definitely not virtuous in all areas of non-plastic use, recycling, all of that, but water, water bottles are my thing. But anyway, her kids, and she was adamant about it. She was like, bring your own money if you want water or bring a water bottle. I'm not doing it. And her kids would be sweating, thirsty, dying. And she was like, nope, not doing it. Next time, remember your water bottle or remember your money. So those are some ways that you can deal with that. I think, again, it's just, it's super important to remember these things that sort of go in at a very young age. And again, coming at it from a non-restrictive point of view, I think is really, really important. All right. Peer pressure. Let's talk about peer pressure. A lot of people ask me about it, maybe because of like back to school stuff is happening, but we definitely have, so we have younger crowd peer pressure. And then of course, older crowd preteen going into the teen years. So With the younger crowd, what I find is the peer pressure isn't quite the same. Of course, it's not like ideas. It's not troublesome, like, you know, peer pressure with smoking, sex, drugs, drinking. Those things are what we normally kind of associate with peer pressure. But I work with a fair amount of families who experience a version of peer pressure that looks like, like your child is attracted to the other, this other kid who's like, trouble. And maybe your kid is trouble. Maybe your kid is highly spirited, but then they get with this other kid and it magnifies and they get out of control. Everything they do gets them into trouble. And so I often see that a lot. And parents like, I don't know what to do. The other mom's really nice. I don't know what to do. Like my kid loves this kid, but they always escalate. They always like, they drag one another along. And I think that it, the base is still the peer pressure. So what Pascal in preschool, when he like left, you know, moved up from preschool, one of the teachers, you know, talked to me. She said, listen, you know, they, they gave you like an overview of the child. And it was really wonderful. And they said, listen, our, our kind of experience of Pascal over two years, three years, is that he is a fence walker. He's not a troublemaker himself. He'll never be the ringleader. But boy, he'll get right in there if another kid is. And so I was like, oh, that's interesting. Okay, I'm going to have to like work on him. Not necessarily being a leader. He's almost never been a leader. He's more like a manager, but like really working on the skills that make him a manager that, that brings something to a group so that he isn't just following somebody down sort of the wrong path. Now, when you're dealing with a situation like that, you know, I think it's always best if you can, number one, redirect. So if you look for what are these kids getting into trouble for, there's something appealing. Those kids that get into trouble that are mischievous. They're the rock throwers. They're going to push the limit. They're YOLO kids. You only live once. They're just going to go head first into a brick wall at hundred miles an hour. Those kids exist everywhere. And if your child is drawn to that kid, you have to kind of figure out why, why is my kid so drawn to that? Or why are these two so drawn to each other and created mischief? Mischief is super fun. Getting into trouble is super fun. What's taking them to the edge? And one thing I'm finding sort of across the board is that we are just being too stringent. 
we are not allowing enough dangerous play. We are not allowing enough risk-taking in life. So I'm not saying let these two throw rocks at each other or at other kids. Like that's not the kind of danger we want. But you might be able to redirect them and say something like, hey, you guys are throwing rocks. That's risky business because somebody could get seriously hurt. But hey, are we looking to throw something or are we looking for trouble? Can we find trouble somewhere else? Can you find some creative trouble for them? If you're somewhere where there's rocks and there's water, can you try to cross the water using bigger rocks? You know, and I'm just throwing imaginary circumstances out there. If you're at a playground, could you get them up higher and and try something risky, something that gives them that same feeling of like, ooh, look at us, we're doing something, but is not maybe so dangerous, right? So look for what's so appealing because when you're feeling, like think about you, me, I, when I feel like pokey, when I feel like mischief, what is that? What am I missing? And usually it's because I've been too stringent. I'm like, I want to go, I want to say, fuck it. I want to go have fun. I want to go throw caution to the wind, right? Then, you know, of course, some people are adrenaline junkies. Some people like the edge and maybe your kid's that. So maybe you need to look for some bigger thrill seeking things, yeah? That will assuage that, that will help the child mitigate it in maybe not so dangerous ways or not so escalating right? Because we do want that risk-taking. We want to see what the child's getting from it and assist, you know, support that in a, in a healthier way. Now, there are some kids that are just not good for your child, and you may know that. And that might be, you know, there's a couple of things you want to look at, like, hey, is the other parent seeing it? So this gets into a whole bunch of stuff with the other parent. Is the other parent parenting or is it like the other parent just doesn't see it as neglectful is, you know, like, oh, they'll be fine. And you're like, um, no, they have bricks and fire in their hands. Ah, leave them be like, you know, if you say something, is it going to land? Right. So that's one thing you want to you want to see. Then can you both intervene? Can you both come up with things? Is it something that you need to ask the other parent? Hey, they're getting into trouble. Do you mind if I go and remove the rocks from their hands or, hey, let's go do something? I would try to rope the other parent in. And then there are just going to be kids that sometimes you have to avoid. But my experience with client work is that the kid that you most want to avoid, that's the kid your kid goes to (laughs) for a lot of people. And I find that it is these fence walker boys, these boys that like are normally pretty well behaved, you know, they're quote unquote good. And then they get around this kid and like, oof, the little devil twinkle comes into their eye. So in those cases, there may be like, hey, listen, if so-and-so comes over and you guys get into trouble, they won't be able to come over anymore or something like that. But you have to decide if you want the child in your kid's life or not. And that's the determining factor. Because if you want the child, the other child in your kid's life, you're going to have to make peace with the parent. You're going to have to figure something out. But if you are like, you know what, we're not hanging out with them anymore. There were plenty of kids when Pascal was in school. The parents were bad news. There was no way in hell my child would ever go to their house. You know, and I was like, you know what, honey, we're just I wouldn't say anything to him like we I would say like we can't we can't we can't or whatever but I would make it while I was still in control I would make it that we weren't going to cultivate that friendship because I couldn't see any good to come of it. I go by my gut feeling and I lived in an inner city. It was an inner city school and so there were definitely some situations that I was like nope, I'm not going to be the social worker here. <laughs> but now as you get older of course peer pressure becomes a bigger a bigger issue. And I think the really important thing to remember about peer pressure is it's really trying to get the balance right between being exactly who you are 
and making your own choices and fitting in with your group. Remember that we are herd animals. We want to fit in more than anything. And then once we fit in, we try to be super special. <laughs> but we know this. We know this from teens, you know, the piercings, the hair, the the blue hair, the whatever outfits. And, you know, you're like, oh my God, you're going to leave the house that way. You go to drop them off and all of their friends look exactly the same. And you're like, oh, you're not being different at all. You're being the same within your friend group, which may be very different from other friend groups, right? So I think remembering that, that the balance between being yourself and fitting in, because I think as parents, we dismiss how important peer relationships are at this age. And so I remember with utter clarity, my mom doing the age old, well, if your friends jump off a bridge, would you too? And like, yeah, I'm going to not jump off the bridge and be by myself. Of course, I'm jumping off the bridge with my friends. What are you crazy? (laughs) Like it was a duh. So I feel like we dismiss that very quickly. Like we expect our children to just stand up for themselves, be advocates for themselves, not give into peer pressure. But we don't really cultivate that either. And we dismiss it with cliches. We dismiss it with like, just say no. That's not a fucking strategy. Just say no is the most bullshit. (laughs) What was that, Nancy Reagan? Like, there's so much that goes into just saying no. And part of that is how you were raised. And were you raised with a parent who hovered, who was all over you, like white on rice, who dictated everything, who made your schedule, who gave you very little choices? These are the things that lead to bad things down the road, right? Which is why we want this more responsive parenting, this more expansive parenting, so that we're not creating kids who can only follow rules and only follow other people. So that's one thing. How to make your child happy with who they are and their choices and values. We can take this down to the toddler level, you guys, giving your child some control. And again, more and more and more, I'm just like, you know this, you know, from reading Hunt, Gather, Parent, from like really stepping more into the Montessori model, I really truly believe this isn't about giving choices all day long. Do you want this or this? Do you want this or this? Do you want this or this? Choices seem great, but far better to set your whole house up and your whole life up so that your child can be as autonomous as possible. And again, there's ways, I've talked about this, but there's ways to do this that don't send your child into choice paralysis. For example, the Montessori wardrobe, it's a short like wardrobe that the child has, you know, socks, underpants, shoes, and clothes hanging up. It's very small. It's child size, but you only put one outfit on there. You put one outfit and maybe two shirts. So the choices are there, but it's not you controlling the choice. It's not this or this or this or this, this or this, this or this all day long. And the child feels autonomous. They can get themselves dressed. They can pick out their, they can take their underwear out of the drawer. The choice is there, right? But it's them, it's them doing the whole thing. So you just set up the environment. So that is how we start to grow kids who are happy with themselves and happy with their choices. Not only does it minimize toddler fuckery, (laughs) I didn't know what else to work to use, but it really helps build this foundation of I am my own person and I make good decisions for me. We want to start building that. And that doesn't come from your words. It doesn't come from a book. It doesn't come from reading a book. It comes from actual doing and being happy with your choices, being autonomous and saying, I'm my own person. Look at me. I can do these things by myself. So that's how we lay the groundwork for that. Yeah. And as they get bigger, trying to afford more and more choices and letting them fucking fail. We have to have such a culture right now of not being allowed to fail and they have to fall on their face, 
they have to. That's how they're going to get the lessons. So very interesting side note, the other day, Pascal and his friend had booked a concert and the friend could drive. So I was like, great, that's great. And then the friend had to back out. So I was like, I have to drive. I was all mad. (laughs) But then he said, I can't find anybody to go with me. And I was like, okay, well, you can go by yourself. And he was like, what? And I was like, you could go by yourself. And he was like, all right, well, I was thinking that, but that's weird. And I was like, no, honey. And I really, being able to be happy with your own company is key. I said, there's women my age who can't even go out to eat by themselves, which I can't even fathom. I love to go out to eat by myself and I'd love to go to the movies by myself. So I said, you know, go, go by yourself. It'll be fun. And so I dropped him off and it was this, it was about 30 minutes away. I had to drop him kind of far from the venue because it was getting all congested. And I, you know, I did, I said, all right, uh, either get an Uber home or call me and see if I'm awake. And then I got right back on the freeway and it was great. It actually was a really easy drive. So I was like, I texted him back and I was like, you know, you can, I'll pick you up. Just be at that corner. And then I had this moment. I was like, wow, he's 16, which is old enough, but really like he's 30 minutes away. What if something happens? Like, did I just do the shittiest parenting thing ever? And what if he gets into trouble? Like, what if something, I just, I don't know. I was like, hmm. And I was like, you know what? Fuck it. He'll figure it out. He'll either figure it out or we'll have to deal with whatever happens. And it was great. He had a great time and he met a bunch of people and, you know, it was a punk band. So there was a mosh pit. I was like, honey, it's not like you're at a school dance where like, if you're by yourself, you know, everybody's going to notice, like, just get in the mosh pit and, and do it. And so it ended up being a great experience. But again, that was one of those things where I was like, well, he might fail. He's got to start failing. He's got to start majorly failing or figuring it out. So again, that's how we start laying that groundwork, right? Choices, autonomy, failure. And we just, oh, and you guys, I'm putting myself in this category. I'm looking around in all the areas where I don't let them fail, where I don't create enough parameters, right? And so it's all of us. We let it go. We let it slip. It's really hard. It's it's risky parenting in this day and age, but I think it's really important. And, and it's something you can start young. The next thing in peer pressure, the next indicator is that they have a strong connection to you. So peer orientation is a real thing. I read a book a while back. It might be Gabor Mate, I think. Hold on to your kids. It was a little heavy handed, but basically it talked about peer orientation and really how once your kid, and I think this starts in middle school, I definitely noticed it in middle school with Pascal and boys needing a boy tribe, really, because I think like hormones are starting. And that's where I really saw this, like the girls with the girls, the boys with the boys, because I don't know, I think they, I think you need that, that sort of safety to talk about the opposite sex. And I don't know what it is, but I noticed it in middle school and they get peer oriented. So their friends become more important than you and their friends' opinions become more important than you. And so it's really hard it's a striking, a fine balance because you want the family unit to stay the moral compass, but it can go awry. We see this in extreme religious households, right? Where the moral compass gets too strict, the child bucks up against it. And so that connection to you has to be paramount. You know, I think it's paramount throughout all of childhood, but I've really picked up on it now in the teens because any disconnection from me, there's literally somebody waiting to pick up that slack at 16 years old. And maybe not so much in middle school, but definitely now in high school, he doesn't need me anymore. I mean, so if I bail emotionally, if I don't stay connected to him and and cultivate that connection, he will miss it, of course, but it's almost like he won't because he's got other people. He's got backup. And I don't want him to have those backup because those backup are his age and they're all got no frontal lobes right now. (laughs) 
their judgment's off, the executive function's gone out the window. So you want to avoid extreme peer orientation and it's natural. It starts to happen, but you also really want to maintain home. So it's striking that balance. And so for us, we stay really connected with archery and hunting. We stay really connected with snowboarding. We stay connected with music and we check in and I really try to not hound him. And so he has a really good friend and I used to be friends with the mom. We just sort of faded off, but she is that mom that is like saccharine and she is, you know, quote unquote involved, but she's annoying as fuck. She annoys me. Like she's nonstop. Like, so what did you guys do? What music are you listening to? And, and, and you can tell that the kids are giving her like very rote answers and it's not true connection. She's just kind of pounding them with questions, making herself feel like she's connected. And one thing I know about teens, parenting a teenage girl is so much different than parenting a teenage boy. Like boys are just so fucking quiet. It's like, it's hours. Like you have to stay with them for hours before they start to open up. And so giving Pascal that space, that became very, very important. So what I'm saying may not apply to you if you're parenting a girl who has my experience of my friends right now is that the girls are much more emotional, much more um, dramatic. There's a lot more door slamming, a lot more like, they're bigger feelings, just like so many feelings and, and not that our boys aren't feeling them, but they tend to, I think, go the opposite direction. They kind of keep them bottled in and it's like pulling teeth. But what I've learned is just shut up, Jamie, just shut up because when I'm speaking, it just delays his speaking even more. And so staying connected for us is a lot of silence, but also just a lot of like, then he'll open up and then comes the next step, which is talk and listen with curiosity, not with judgment. So again, I see this in that same other mom, which is like, you know, the kid will say something and she'll be like, oh no, you didn't do that. So he didn't even finish the sentence and she's already judging. And she's one of those kind culture people, like everybody needs to be kind, but she doesn't look at any other behavior behind it. So it's funny to me to watch her interact with the kids because, and again, I'm not like trying to be like, she's terrible and I'm great but it's a good learning lesson for me because I see the kids shut down. And I also see that she doesn't let them finish their sentences because she's going to quickly judge whether something was good or bad. And so I think in these later years, it becomes more important because you're going to hear all kinds of shit. You're going to hear so-and-so's having sex, so-and-so's giving blowjobs, so-and-so's vaping, middle school kids are vaping. There's all kinds of stuff happening. So you want your kid talking because it's my position You want the kids talking about all the things so you know what's going on. That to me is paramount. And that is without judgment. So you have to really listen as they get older and you can start this at any age really is how do you feel about that? How did that make you feel? How did that make your friends feel? How was the situation? That sounds tense. You know, did your body feel tense? Did you feel like you were questioning what was happening? Did you want to leave and you didn't know how? So you want to ask some of these questions so that you can really get a gauge of what's happening with these harder subjects. Then that leads us to the next thing, which is give them an out. They have to have an out because if they're going to get in trouble for telling you what's going on, then they're not going to tell you. Plain and simple. If you're going to ride their ass about it, they're going to stop telling you. Then you're going to find out things. And then for me, and I know everybody's got their own style, I think, in these these things. And I actually think at this age, I look like a very permissive parent to a lot of parents, but I want the communication lines to stay open. So that's my choice. So giving them an out looks like, I think I've mentioned this before, but there is, uh, I didn't come up with this. I read this a few years ago, but anytime your child texts you an X, a capital X, you just go and pick them up and it is an out. It is no questions asked. I'm coming to get you. 
I will do whatever means necessary to get you out of the situation. And if you want to tell me about it, I would love it, but you don't have to. And so he's never employed the ex as of right now, but we have that standing so that if your child is in a peer pressure situation where they feel like they can't get out, or maybe the reason you do an ex, not maybe this is why you do an ex is that if somebody grabs their phone, it doesn't say shit about anybody. It won't get them into trouble with their peers or whatever. So I think those are the really big things. And then of course, the last thing is be the house that everybody wants to be at. You know, I think that's a really important thing. Unfortunately, we live so far out in the woods now. We're not exactly that house, but the kids love being here. They love being in the woods. And I make sure, like I said, I used to be the food Nazi. And now I'm like, you want Doritos? You want extra blast flavor Doritos? I'm in. (laughs) So I just, I want them here. I love when they're here. I love hearing their conversations. I'll be buzzing around the house and overhearing things and they'll share things with me. They'll share about their girlfriends. And, you know, it's really fun being kind of be their therapist. And we'll all sit in a circle and I'll be like, all right, well, I, you know, how did that make you feel? And what are we going to do? And, and it's really fun. And, and I feel like having that lets the kids stand up for themselves. And it gives them that choice, right? It gives them that, that autonomy to be a whole person without nagging, without judgment. And that will go so far in peer pressure. And I feel very fortunate, Pascal, this is a lot of nature. I'd love to take more credit for this, but he's always been very strong-minded. He's always been like, I'm not gonna, like, he's like, why would people peer pressure you to smoke? Smoking's so gross. And I was like, yeah, I guess, but maybe smoke weed or, you know, whatever it is. And he really has a strong mind, but he also loves to fit in. So I'm constantly kind of watching it. But I think, again, the best thing we can do is just start building this shit young and remembering that it's not your words and it's not always your, it's not always modeling. It's more about how can I help my child be super independent and super confident in themselves? Because that self-confidence is what's going to allow you to advocate for yourself, allow you to get out of sticky situations and allow you to say no when you think something shady is going on. All right. That took a lot longer than I anticipated. So I'm not going to get to the other little things. So I'm glad I didn't mention them in the beginning. (laughs) All right, guys, as always, I appreciate you and rock on. Okay. Bye everyone. Just a reminder, if you need additional resources, I have Oh Crap Potty Training. I have Oh Crap, I Have a Toddler. Those books are available everywhere you want to find a book. (laughs) You can also go to my website, jamieglowacki.com, where you can book private sessions with me, buy any of my courses. Those are really geared towards potty training help. And also I'm on Instagram. I'm not on Facebook anymore and I'm not on Twitter. I'm on Instagram, jamie.glowacki, and I do a lot of lives and uh, usually posting a lot of good information. So those are extra resources for you. And as always, rock on. Have an awesome day.